It's good to be with everyone. My name is Pastor Joseph Bianco. I am one of the pastors here at City Reformed. Glad that you are with us this evening. We've been going through the book of 1 Corinthians. And uh, today I thought we would go backwards a little bit. And um, this is a text you'll see on page four of your bulletin that uh, Nauman preached on earlier, but I'd like to focus on a different aspect of it, thinking about particularly spiritual gifts, especially we get, uh, as we get into chapters 13 and 14, and we'll talk about tongues and prophecy. So think of this as a, as a primer on <laughs> tongues and prophecy and spiritual gifts. Uh, let me pray, and then we'll read the word, and our response will be thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the ways that you have gifted the church. Father, I thank you that you use the expression of those gifts uh, to build up the body of Christ and to serve, uh, Father, each other, but also uh, to serve those around us, our our neighbors, our friends, uh, strangers. Um, Father, we thank you that we see the completeness of the body of Christ and the full expression of the individual members. And I pray, Father, as we consider this text, that you would stir up our spirits as we, as we think about the ways you've gifted us and as we think about some of these unique, uh, extraordinary gifts and as we consider the leading of your spirit. Would you encourage our hearts uh, to live out um, these great gifts that you give to your people? We pray in your name. Amen. Right, our readings on page four. This is from 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 1 to 13. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Uh, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but is the same God who empowers them all and every one. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one in the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. This is the word of the Lord. So I was always a a conflicted youth. Um, When you're young, you grow up wondering what you'll be, uh, what you'll do with the rest of your life. And when I was in fifth grade, I took one of these job assessments. Uh, I don't know why they did it to fifth graders. Um, But I took that test, and it told me what I would be when I grew up. Uh, The test gave me a few options. It said I would most likely be a forest ranger. 
And sometimes I think I could be a forest ranger. And then it said I'd be a counselor. And the third option was actually a pastor. So I kid you not, the test was right. Now when you're little, you feel awkward. Uh, I felt like everyone had this thing that they were good at, uh, except for me. I felt like I was good at nothing. I was okay at everything. But in reality, I think we all feel this way when we're growing up. Everyone seems better than us at stuff. Everyone feels like I'm the person who's good at nothing. And there's the temptation, actually, in our text today, to think that just because I'm not good at something must mean I'm either worthless or that God has no use for me. But it's not true. In this section of Scripture, Paul's desire for the Corinthian church is to embrace spirit-given gifts, using them for the building up of the church. Paul then sets those gifts in the context of the one spirit who resides in every believer, regardless of the gifts that they possess and regardless of whether they're good at using those gifts. So if I could say it another way, the whole body of Christ is elevated above any particular gift, but each gift is a necessary part of the body of Christ. Therefore, to follow Jesus is to embrace the leading of God's Spirit, including the gifts that he gives. Following Jesus means embracing his Spirit, even spiritual gifts you'd rather not have. So we're going to look at these spiritual gifts through three points. The first is history and background of spiritual gifts. The second is how to use spiritual gifts. And the third is how to live a Spirit-led life. So let's look at the history and background. Uh, So we've entered into this uh, new section, chapters 12 to 14, in the book of Corinthians, which is Paul's discourse on spiritual gifts. And uh, maybe when you enter this section as a Presbyterian, it makes you feel uncomfortable. And if so, you probably have good and bad reasons that you might feel uncomfortable. On the one side, Christians throughout history, especially in the last hundred years, through more charismatic denominations, have often abused spiritual gifts. It can be really damaging, can't it? When someone speaks to you with the authority of, thus saith the Lord. People have claimed to speak in the Spirit, and in fact, they weren't speaking in the Spirit at all. So who can I trust? What manifestation of the Spirit can I trust? You're not alone in asking these questions. A similar thing's going on here in verses 1 to 3. So now remember at this time, um, these first 50 to 100 years of Christianity were like, you know, the frontier for the Christian faith. It's all new to them. They're figuring it out. And as I was reflecting on this passage of Scripture and remembering uh, that when Paul was writing to the Corinthians, there was still a lot of Scripture left unwritten. The Corinthians may have had a couple letters that have circulated from the apostles to the churches, but not the whole New Testament, not everything that we have today. And even the Gospels would have been handed down orally. So we have to remember that a lot of this was new for them, and there were false teachers amongst them. And here, apparently, there were pagan worshipers who had tried to infiltrate the Christian assemblies. So Paul tells them that when you're speaking in the Spirit, verse 3, that you'll know if someone is in Christ by whether they claim Jesus as Lord or whether they curse Jesus. Okay, 
So that seems simple enough. Um, but certainly today, there are people all the time who think that they are speaking for Jesus when in fact they're not even really saved by Jesus. So here's where we need to talk about spiritual gifts. Uh, there's a difference between being in the Spirit and just saying spiritual things. Uh, we have to draw a distinction. So you, all of you right now, are either in Christ or you're not in Christ. Those are the only two options. You have the Spirit or you don't have the Spirit. Now how do you know? Now how you know if you have God's Spirit is another sermon. But there are ways that we affirm each other's faith that you're already aware of. For instance, if you're a, a member of this church, if you've become a member of this church, you've met with the elders, and those elders have sat with you and helped you discern your faith. Becoming a member and publicly confessing Jesus as Lord and Savior is one way the Spirit of Jesus is affirmed in a particular member. In this sense, when you hear someone's testimony or you see a membership uh, vows performed, what you are hearing is, Jesus is Lord. Now, for this text, speaking in the Spirit is most likely a reference to the gift of prophecy or speaking in tongues. So there is a miraculous aspect to Paul's warning. First, you're either in Christ or you're not in Christ. And then second, if you're prophesying or speaking in tongues, you will either affirm or deny Jesus. Now, here's where I need uh, to set some context for us. Um, not all of you here are familiar with our denomination, uh, but we're PCA, Presbyterian Church in America. We're part of the Reformed tradition, and it differs greatly from some charismatic or Pentecostal uh, traditions. Now, before I say more, I want to affirm that a lot of good work has come from our charismatic brothers and sisters in Christ, and many people have come to faith through those denominations. But we differ greatly on how we understand 1 Corinthians uh, 12 to 14. Reformed Presbyterians believe first that our canon, which is the 66 books that make up the Bible, are closed, meaning we don't add to Scripture. It's set. Now, at the time of 1 Corinthians, the canon was not closed. There was new revelation under apostolic authority, meaning the apostles, and that became Scripture. So I'll refer you to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2, Revelation 22, verse 18, 2 Timothy 3, 16, and thinking about what it means that the Scripture is closed, or the canon's closed. We don't add to God's Word. In fact, it's deadly to add to God's Word. Therefore, we believe that certain extraordinary gifts ceased with the age of the apostles. These gifts are miracles, tongues, and prophecy. Now, we're going to get into uh, that a little more later in the sermon, but I did some uh, reading about the history of our denomination, and there's really a wide variety of acceptable views uh, when thinking about these extraordinary gifts. So, for example, um, some of you may, so our denomination began in 1973, um, but in 1981, there was something called joining and receiving, which is where another large denomination joined with the PCA, and that denomination was called the RPCES, or the Reformed Presbyterian Church Evangelical Synod. Um, those pastors from the RPCES who came over from, to the PCA in 1981, 
many of those pastors affirmed the extraordinary gifts, and they were allowed to retain their views in the PCA. All right, so today you could divide our denomination into maybe two large camps, uh, one being what is called mild cessationists and the other being complete or total cessationists. So I most likely, personally, I would fall into the mild category, meaning I believe God could do or act however he wills in time, um, and most likely I would affirm that miracles do happen today um, and that God could speak to a particular person if he so chose, um, but I'm more skeptical about those uh, speaking in tongues and prophesying in a way of thus saith the Lord. Um, so there are cessationists, mild or complete, who believe that the extraordinary gifts have ceased, and continuationists who believe that the extraordinary gifts have continued. All right, now, can both be Christians? Absolutely, they can. But we get into trouble where we start to emphasize one over the other. Pentecostals get into trouble by demanding that certain spiritual gifts are required as a sign for salvation or if you have the Spirit. Presbyterians can get into trouble when we remove the Spirit from leading in our lives. Presbyterians can forget that we are a Spirit-filled people, that there is something really mysterious and spiritual going on inside each and every one of us. Lastly, and this can be divisive, I was reading a report from the 1975 OPC, which is the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, um, General Assembly, in which they removed a missionary from the field because he said he had spoken in tongues. And he never went back to being a missionary again. So people over the history have taken some pretty drastic steps in thinking about uh, spiritual gifts. All right, so hopefully that's some helpful background. I want to move now to how spiritual gifts are to be used. Uh, the larger point of our text is really summarized in verse 4. There are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. Every Christian who has believed in Jesus as the Lord and Savior, every Christian has the Spirit of the Father and the Son dwelling in their hearts. Every time I think of the Spirit dwelling in our hearts, I think of Corey Ten Boom's forgiving the man who murdered her father. Because Jesus is in my heart, I forgive you. It's the Spirit who enables us to do any work or use any gift that we're given. Now, I'll go into the specifics of those gifts in my last point, but in this point, I want you to see the diversity of gifts. There are many gifts, and they're all different, but they're all from the same Spirit, and they're used for the common good. This means that God has gifted you in ways that he expects you to use those gifts for the common good. The people that make up the church are the body of Christ, and he uses them for the common good. Now notice in verse 5, Paul says that these gifts are for serving. This is really important when we think about spiritual gifts. To quote another pastor, he said, serving has a lot of benefits, but if you're in it for the benefits, then you're not really serving, and you won't get the benefits. Jesus is really clear about why we serve. We do not serve in order to be blessed so that we will have good things happen to us. Though if you serve, you're more likely to be blessed. We don't serve in order to live self-fulfilled lives, making ourselves feel good. We don't serve in order to achieve some status or position by our serving. 
We don't serve because it builds community and we can spend time with new friends or get to know new people. All of these things can be really good things, but the reason we serve is because Jesus has served us. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We serve because Jesus served us. So when you think of spiritual gifts, you should interrogate the reason for desiring a particular gift or for not desiring a particular gift. You should primarily serve because Jesus has served you. Now, on the other side, this means that you should serve in a way in which you may not like to serve. <laughs> Keller used this uh, trifold perspective when thinking about God's will for your gifting. He talked about affinity, ability, and opportunity. Affinity, ability, and opportunity. But maybe you have a little affinity, um, slim ability, and a little bit of opportunity to exercise a particular gift. Well, it may still be true that God could desire you to exercise that particular gift. And maybe if all there is is opportunity, then you take it up and you try it. Because you won't know unless you try. It's not true that our gifts have to perfectly match our desires. So uh, I'll let you in on a little secret. I don't particularly like preaching. <laughs> in fact, one reservation I had uh, when I became a pastor is that I am an introvert. Um, I don't enjoy standing up in front of people. But had I not stepped in and tried, uh, I wouldn't be preaching to you today. What God has taught me is that while I may not enjoy uh, public speaking, I love the gospel and I love sharing the gospel. And honestly, I should change my language. Uh, I love preaching. I don't like public speaking. <laughs> if it were not for the gospel, I would never choose to speak publicly. But I feel compelled. I believe I've been gifted. And so I exercise that gift, even though it doesn't always feel easy or natural. So for you, I want you to think about the way God has gifted you. Are there areas of your life that God is holding out an opportunity and you're saying no because you're afraid to try? Perhaps there are many ways that God has gifted you by his spirit that you know nothing about because you haven't taken the step. You know, in the church, there's lots of neutral ways to serve, set up, tear down, welcoming, ushering, greeting. Uh, maybe you don't feel like the most welcoming person. Well, you should still welcome in order to get better at welcoming. <laughs> For instance, I constantly work on smiling. I'm just not a smiley person, but I am trying, and I've been trying for a long time. So service is not because it meets your needs, but because you've been served by Jesus. You don't know your gifts if you don't try. And lastly, we don't want to mistake fruit for gifts. So just because you're good at something doesn't mean that you should actually do that thing. Um, I'll take Mark Driscoll again as an easy example. Uh, he's an amazing speaker. He's wicked smart. He's very talented. Uh, many people came to Jesus under his ministry, but he did not have the maturity to be in the position that he was in. So it's not good if we're leading, but inside we're dying spiritually. 
So we don't want to mistake fruit for gifting. Now, in this church, uh, we've had an interesting development. Um, we need uh, more volunteers. It feels constantly. And frankly, it's been hard uh, to get enough volunteers. And that's for multiple reasons. The pandemic made volunteering difficult in our location. Being a church that rents a building means that we need more volunteers than most. And for those who are visiting tonight, I'm mainly talking about in our morning service at the building we rent. We own this building. Um, but what remains true, it's generally true, is that about 10% of our church does 100% of the volunteering. And you see, when a church is small, there are actually more willing volunteers, and there's also less that has to be done. But when a church is larger, it's actually harder to get volunteers to use their gifts because everyone is assuming that the other person is doing it or the position is being filled. So again, I'll go back to the temptation. Gifting isn't everything, but it's not nothing either. Each of us is called to use our gifts for the common good, and if we don't, the body will be lacking. So we've discussed um, history and spiritual gifts, the uses of spiritual gifts, and I want to look at living spirit-led lives. So whether you affirm today the extraordinary gifts continue, or if you're a mild cessationist or a complete sensationist or you don't know what you are at all, um, what really matters is that we are living spirit-filled lives. So what do I mean by spirit-filled lives? Well, let's read verses 11 to 13. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we are all baptized into one body. So notice that these gifts are empowered by the Spirit. And it is the Spirit who apportions gifts to each person. So notice that regardless of what gifts you have, all who are in Jesus have been baptized into one body. So if you're Christian, then the Spirit is in you, period. It doesn't come and go. It doesn't matter your background or your denominational belief. It doesn't matter what race or ethnicity or gender you are. We are all one in Christ, baptized into the same Spirit. Now look, it matters how we define these gifts. For instance, if you are a complete cessationist, you may be tempted to ignore the other gifts of the Spirit. Why? There's a few reasons. Uh, one may be that you're actually reacting against charismatic abuse by swinging too far to the other side. So for instance, verse 13 has been abused by Pentecostals to mean that in addition to your physical baptism, there is another baptism called your second baptism or your spiritual baptism. They would say this is separate from coming to faith. And I'm going to uh, read a little bit from a, an excerpt called from a, it's a book by Hukuma, Anthony Hukuma, called What About Tongue Speaking? I can give you a sense of this. So Hukuma says, when I was selling Bibles in Louisiana as a seminary student, I once talked to a woman who was a member of a Pentecostal church. What about your husband, I asked her. Oh, he's a seeker, was her reply. A seeker? What do you mean? He's seeking the Holy Spirit. You mean, I continued, that he's not a believer? Oh, of course he's a believer. He doesn't go to church? 
Of course he goes to church every Sunday. Well, why do you call him a seeker? Because he doesn't have the baptism of the Spirit yet. How long has he been a seeker? Oh, about 10 years. So you could imagine the psychological and spiritual anxiety this would create. It's the belief that you're really not a Christian until these particular gifts have been experienced or given to you, primarily the baptism of the Spirit. But what does it mean to be baptized into the Spirit? Brothers and sisters, it's not a miracle that you perform. It's a miracle that's been performed for you. You are the miracle that your hearts would turn away from sinful desires, that you would believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, that you would be given the Spirit of God is a washing, a baptism. And everyone who has received Jesus has been baptized in the Spirit. All right, so uh, let's keep moving. What about prophecy? Well, again, it depends on how you define prophecy. In the Old Testament, a prophet was a man of God who spoke God's word to God's people. Sometimes it was future-oriented, but sometimes it was not. Sometimes it was a rebuke. Sometimes it was a message of love and compassion and of God's grace. So prophecy, I want you to erase this from your minds, is not only future-oriented. Okay, so we need to think about a prophet more holistically. Now, can prophecy continue today? Well, if you read this as prophecy is new revelation, then that cannot continue. Why? Because, remember, the canon is closed. The church has affirmed 66 distinct books based on the authority of Scripture, and, uh, sorry, of the apostles and the prophets, and so we dare not add to Scripture. But on the other hand, let me ask you this. Does God not speak through many of you into each other's lives? Are you not the hands and feet of God? Is my role not to speak the word of God to you? So here's the reason we feel so uncomfortable. If I come to you and I say in my own words, thus saith the Lord, then your antenna goes up. Warning, warning, red flag warning. Why? Because all of a sudden I've made my personal words equal to the words of Scripture. And that is a problem. But in our Presbyterian setting, I wouldn't do that. (laughs) So here's what I would do. Here's what I may do. I may feel the Spirit prodding me in a particular way. Maybe the Spirit brings something to my mind or someone I've been praying for, and I get a sense maybe something's not right with that person. So I make a point of getting together with them, and maybe there's a scripture I feel called to share with them, or maybe even a word to speak that I think they need to hear. Now, I never said to that person, thus saith the Lord, because I'm a mild cessationist. But I exercised my spiritual gift. Now, these are just two gifts we discussed, but I want to broaden it. I want you to think about others listed later in this chapter, which I did not include, but it's just later in chapter 12. Um, Administration, being an apostle, which none of us are or will be. Discernment, evangelism, exhortation, faith, giving, healing, helps, hospitality, knowledge, leadership, mercy, prophecy, serving, speaking in tongues, teaching or shepherding, and wisdom. So obviously no one's an apostle anymore, but do not think, for example, because you're a woman, that you're not pastoral. 
Being a pastor isn't just about being an ordained teaching elder. Many of our women are gifted in being pastoral, which is that ability to come alongside a brother or sister in Christ to show care, love, compassion, and instruction. Or teaching, or discernment, or evangelism. So I don't have time to go through every gift. This is, a, again, a primer. Um, but consider each and ask yourself this question. Could one of these spiritual gifts be an area in which the Spirit is leading me to serve? Or do I neglect these gifts? What we don't want to do, and what I see a lot of Presbyterians doing, is neglecting the Spirit. So to say it another way, every minute of every day of our lives should be Spirit-filled. One thing that's been help, that has helped me tremendously in my life is when things are really stressful, um, I'll say to myself, I wonder where the Spirit will lead me today. Do you know how much stress that actually takes off of you? So maybe today I'll exhort someone. Or maybe today I'll spend time studying or growing in the knowledge of the Lord. Maybe today the Lord will strike me and I'll be sick. But I'll be dependent on Him and I'll cling to Him as I grow in faith. Maybe today I'll be given a gift so that I can give it to others. Who knows, but what I know is that God will lead me by His Spirit this day. And I don't have to lead myself. And when I come to an obstacle, God will equip me by His Spirit, giving me the gifts I need to complete that task at hand. Whatever I do, I'm living each day walking in the Spirit of God. So brothers and sisters, Jesus led, lived His whole life, living each day being led in the Spirit. And we have His Spirit, so we too can live spirit led lives. Let's pray.